What a fascinating yet challenging time to be a leader. And in this Leading by Nature series, I interview pioneering leaders from diverse organizations, exploring future fit leadership and organizational development. I'm Giles Hutchins, executive coach, senior advisor and author of many books, the latest being Leading by Nature, which explores the inner nature and outer nature of the organization and the inner and outer nature of the leader as they journey toward regenerative futures. Welcome to the Leading by Nature podcast with myself, Giles Hutchins, and my lovely guest today, Mark Cudigan, the CEO of Ella's Kitchen, the organic baby food provider. Thank you so much, Mark, for being here with us today. Well, thanks for inviting me. Let's dive straight in by exploring a bit about Ella's Kitchen, uh, its journey so far as a business, as a living system, how it's been evolving and adapting in these interesting times. Perhaps you can start a bit about what Ella's reason for being is, its, its passion and its purpose. Well, so Ella's Kitchen was founded by Paul Lindley just over 16 years ago. Um, I've been with the company for just coming up to 11 years. And Paul, so Ella is Paul's oldest daughter. Um, and when he started Ella's Kitchen, he started the business with a purpose that was outside of simply making money. So this idea that you have a mission-led business and our mission is all around children's health and nutrition. Um, so we want children to grow up healthy, happy, and never hungry. And that, that's the world that we want them to inhabit. So everything that we do is through that lens of how we're going to achieve our mission. So it's not simply to make money. And I've been in business nearly 30 years. And, you know, when you meet someone, I was thinking about this last night when I was thinking, crap, I've got to do a podcast with Charles at 9am. And I was thinking, it's really rare in life that you meet somebody so inspiring that they make that significant change in you, not for a day or a week or a month, but actually they change you forever. Um, you know, you can meet a a sports star, you're, you know, one of your idols for me, that would be Ian Wright, the Arsenal striker. And it'll be amazing, but it's not going to have that significant change in you. Well, meeting Paul Lindley has changed my entire life. It led me to Ella's Kitchen, which is one of the great loves of my life. But it also led me to this idea that the very purpose of business isn't just to make as much money as possible. There's something about um, purpose there that we'll speak to in a moment. There's something also about love. You said great love, one of your great loves. I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to explore some of your other great loves. Um, but first, the movement of business as a force for good. You know, I've been talking about this now for a good 15 years. And finally, it feels like the hour has come where you know the, the business community is actually sort of rallying behind this idea that actually it's there to create value um, for not just shareholders, but actually wider stakeholder community, society at large. Now, that is changing the nature of success in business. Now, I'd like you to just speak to that because I know you're quite a leading proponent of this. For instance, you're campaigning for a better business act um, here in the UK. This shift, business as a force for good as a movement, can you uh, explain that and, and why it actually relates to business actually becoming healthier? It's not just something that it's not philanthropy, it's actually helping the business able to adapt and evolve in these challenging times by becoming a force for good yeah and and that's the critical thing i think here uh, and it's a frustrating thing that it is 
catching the sort of zeitgeist of the moment. Um, and the B Corporation movement is growing exponentially, certainly in this country and around the world. But it should be growing faster because you and I know that businesses that run uh, themselves in a way that takes hold of all stakeholders will be more financially successful. I mean, it, so it becomes a bit of a no-brainer. If you're only interested in making money, which I'm not, I feel I have to say, but if you are only interested in making money, if you run your business in the right way, looking after all stakeholders, you'll be financially, commercially, you'll, you'll, you'll be a better business. So, you know, take the B Corporation movement as an example. That has one aim and one aim only, and that is to change how we measure success in business. That's it. You know, if we go back 20, 30 years, success in business was all about shareholder returns and making as much money for your shareholders as possible. You know, and I run a division of a, a US PLC, NASDAQ listed company. I have one fiduciary duty and one only, and that is maximize shareholder return. Now you say that and people go, well, yeah, but but you don't do that. Well, no, we don't do that at Ellis Kitchen because we have a mission and we, we you know, we take great care to look after all stakeholders in, in running the business. But I still only have one fiduciary duty and loads and loads of companies still operate on the basis of they're only interested in maximizing shareholder return. If we look at PNO and the scandal with PNO. Um, how they fired all of their workers and and hired um, foreign workers on on zero hour contracts at a, at a much lower level. I mean, it was a profitable company, and you think, well, that's not right. This is happening every day, every day. This is happening where you know workers or another stakeholder, the environment, the planet, is being abused to make more money for shareholders. So, whilst I'd like to say. It, it's the norm. It's it, it's very far from the norm. And what we we're trying to do with the Better Business Act was to change something called Section 172 of the Companies Act. Now, this defines the very purpose of all businesses in the United Kingdom, all incorporated businesses. So if you have accounts at Companies House, this defines Section 172, the purpose of your business, which in simple terms uh, has shareholder primacy. So maximize shareholder return. And we were trying to change that, or we are trying to change that, to stakeholders, so all stakeholders. And the arguments back from people is, well, that's going to be too constricting for business, it's going to harm growth. But actually, as a, as a CEO of a company, if you tell me I can only maximize shareholder return when running my business, or I have this option where, where actually I can look after all stakeholders, well, where's innovation going to thrive? Where's autonomy going to thrive? It's going to thrive in the latter. Yeah, it's interesting. See, what I've been doing uh, and sort of in parallel um, uh, along, I mean, I've known the B Corp movement since it, well, certainly since it started here in the UK. Um, uh, I went to it, one of its first gatherings um, a long time ago when there were only about sort of, I think, a handful of B Corps in the UK. Now there are, you know, thousands around the world, over over 5,000. So it's a, it's a really important movement. And yet what I've, I've unpicked in my own journey, which is what 
what lies behind all this? Why are we getting so fixated on these sort of narrow view of things? Because as you rightly say, I don't think anybody's particularly wanting to abuse workers or wanting to abuse society or the environment. You know, uh, um, people are inherently good. Uh, and yet we get caught up in a, a narrow mindset that actually creates abuse and violation. And so I've, I've been looking at how we shift that mindset, that consciousness, so that it is widened. And that for me, is, is actually a personal journey for leaders, um, but it, of course, relates to and marries with a journey of shifting for the culture of the organization and the mindset, the strategy, so, which is what you're tackling, because some of the things, some of the infrastructure we have around the business, like the fiduciary duty and so forth, are actually constraining when a leader starts wanting to expand their worldview, they're actually constrained. Uh, and as we see with millennials coming through, there's more and more people actually with a wider worldview that then go into business and actually find that they're actually being encouraged to just think very narrowly, which is actually undermining the future of capitalism. It's undermining the future of business. I think that's really, really interesting because it probably won't surprise you that there are many business leaders, many CEOs that support the Better Business Act, but don't feel able to come out and publicly say so. Wow. You know, so so there goes to your thing. We are inherently we are inherently good. We really are. But the pressures and 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 the system with which we are told to operate doesn't allow us to take care of people in the planet in the way that we want to. So, so I, I found that staggering that there were hundreds of CEOs in the UK who wanted to come out publicly who said, We you know, I fully support the Better Business Act, but I'm not able to come out and say so because I don't have the permission of my board. Do you think this is changing? So this is very interesting because this is a tipping point that we're in, I believe. And more and more people, as you rightly say, are, are, are sort of starting to struggle or have dissonance around, hang on a minute, I'm feeling one thing, but I'm being constrained. And then starting to tiptoe across that threshold and actually daring to make change happen, whether it be because others like Paul Pullman and so forth have encouraged mm -hmm. them and people like yourself, Mark, or they're just starting to, you know, they're seeing the challenges happen around the world or listening to their children, whatever it is. But do you feel there's starting to be a tipping point, more companies, more leaders wanting to come out, as it were? Oh, it depends when you ask me. You know, you could change your viewpoint on this for, you know, you mentioned Paul Pullman and Unilever. They're having terrible trouble at the moment with an activist investor. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my uh, glass half full uh, hat on and say, yes, we are definitely on a tipping point. I, I think it needs to happen much faster than it is, uh, both for people and the planet. And I have... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? I have great belief in the millennial generation. So the millennials, I'd like to be a millennial, Charles, but like you, I'm a bit too old. Um, the millennials get, the millennial generation get a lot of grief for everything being about themselves. It's this sort of, Simon Sinek calls it this me, me, me attitude. But that attitude is going to change the world because they're demanding they're demanding more from the companies they work for. They're demanding more from the companies they buy from. They're more aware. And they're going to make better leaders because they have seen this other way. You have the great resignation going on in the United States at the moment. Fantastic. We have a huge problem uh, in employment in, in the UK. There aren't enough people. And for the first time in my life, 
I think that gives power to employees. And that's really exciting. Yeah. Because change is going to have to happen. We have this battle now for talent. I, I hate the word talent, but, but but that's what everyone calls it, isn't it? It's battle for great people. And all people can be great. And I'm sure we'll come on and talk about that. Um, my personal belief is everybody can be great. So we have this battle going on at the moment. And I think that's only going to become more pronounced as we go forward. So, yeah, I think change is happening. Yes. And what, when we look at complex systems, when we sort of shift out of that linear mindset into understanding complexity and systems change, we also see how tipping points happen, that they actually happen sort of an exponential rate. So they might be happening quite slowly, but then they build momentum and then this sort of shift happens. Um, so you're right. It depends on whether we want to be glass half full um, or be um, looking at the, the, the manifold challenges uh, and what really needs to happen. Um, I do see a shift happening. Um, and what I've been talking about in my work is how we need this inner and outer shift. So for the organization, the outer regenerative potential being the way in which that organization is showing up through its value propositions, through lobbying, through engaging. So the work that, that you've been doing with Alice Kitchen, really helping with obesity and, and children to engage with food and so forth. Uh, and the bigger shift around a B Corp and business as a force for good. That's the outer regenerative potential. But then there's also the inner regenerative potential, which is the way in which the organization as a culture, as a living system, is changing. And so how are we shifting the culture to a more adult-adult, to what you just said, allowing everybody to unlock their brilliance? Everybody has this potential within them. How do we encourage an environment that helps people to thrive? Now, we've been through quite a difficult environment of COVID and now conflict in Europe and so forth. Can you speak to a little bit about Ella's culture and the journey it's been on, how it's engaging everyone and some of the challenges that that rises around autonomy and individual purpose, for, for instance? So when Paul, when Paul founded the business 16 years ago, it was very much founded on values. So you know, most companies have values, Giles, and most companies have their values proudly displayed as you walk in the door. But I think few companies really, truly live and breathe their values. And for me, values describe, and I would say this actually about Ella's, Ella's um, about eight, eight years ago, I thought we were really, really good at living our values with each other. Um, and it was all fantastic. And we work in barns just outside Henley. But perhaps we weren't so good living our values with some of our partners. And we've had a big focus on living the values with everybody. Um, so the values are very much sort of entrenched in, in the business. And if you come down and, and, and visit our, our barns, you, you, will, you will literally feel them. You, know, you can feel them as, as you walk through, through the barns. And what are the challenges that you find around um, giving people more autonomy, more agile ways of working, um, you know, so as well as values that you're talking about, you've actually, you know, you have to have, you have to have patience, don't you, with your leadership board, for instance? Yeah, so autonomy, I would like to talk about autonomy, because I feel if I could pick out one thing, and I wouldn't like to pick out one thing, it's like picking a favourite child, but if I could pick out one thing that defines my leadership at Ellis Kitchen, and the thing I'm super passionate about in running the business, it is autonomy, giving every single person autonomy in the work that they do and for me um how i would describe that is i want everybody actively making their own decisions every day 
Now this relies on fantastic communication with your manager. It relies on language is really, really important. So when you go to your manager, you say, I intend to do X, Y, Z, not I have done X, Y, Z. Because if you go and you say, I have done X, Y, Z, they cannot give you any advice, you know, and then the trust starts to break down. So it's really, really important that you have that communication open. But if you do it correctly, what you will create in a business is a series of leaders, which is amazing. And I want everybody, and, and, and the output of that will be twofold. One is you'll have happier people. And the second is the performance of the business will be better because the right people are making the right decisions because they've got all of the information at their hands, much more than say I would. So you know, I made a decision four or five years ago not to make another single decision in the business. And I won't make any decisions. I'll support, I'll give my advice. But if you're the marketing director, head of making friends at Ellis Kitchen, you're in charge of marketing. It's not me. You've been employed to be the head of making friends. So why should I come in and, and, and overlay my opinions on you? It'd be, really, it'd be really, really bad. And when I think expansively about what people want from business right now, and if you boil it down, I think they want two simple things and they're both based around pride. I think people want to have pride in the company that they work for. And that's being able to go home to your parents or sit in the pub with your friends. And you genuinely come alive when you talk about that business because they're doing incredible things somewhere in the business. And I don't feel personally, you can have that deep pride that if the company moves you in a positive way, if it is just about making money. I don't think you can sit there going to your parents and go, hey, we've just made a million pounds and, and we did it by selling more of this. It's like, okay, that doesn't move you as a human being. So that's where we're getting the, the rise of mission, purpose-led businesses, where the purpose is outside of making money. The best ones are to solve some sort of societal or planetary problem. And the second thing is pride in the work that you do. And you can't have pride in the work you do, Giles, if it's not your work, if you've just been told what to do. So looking at the pandemic, there are, and it was awful, and it was awful for, for many, many reasons. But if you weren't a frontline worker, it gave us this enormous period of time to really think about what's important in life to you personally. And I've been on this coaching journey with you, working out what's important to me in my life. And it has definitely changed. And that's what I think is leading to the great resignation. But in terms of autonomy, I think one of the things that we're battling with uh, at Ellers is how, you know, when, when you look at the, the working from home issue that seems to be going on in many companies at the moment, which side of the line do, are you on? At the moment, we're giving everybody the autonomy because you, everybody at Ellers Kitchen is an adult. I trust all of them implicitly. If we didn't, they shouldn't be in the business. They're an adult. They can make their own decisions about when they want to come to work or not. We'd like them to come in as often as they want to come in. But I think giving people that, that decision, it gives them the trust that we, you know, we know that they're going to do the right thing for the company. The flip side to that is, and I'll, I'll tell you in a year if it's, it's working, is I think creativity thrives when you're together. You know, ideas bounce off each other. Somebody says something, you pick up something, you overhear something. That's how innovation and creativity really, really thrives. 
so there's a balance here and there's a payoff between individual freedom i would say and and that right to choose when you work from home and when you come into the business and the creativity and innovation and i don't think there's a right or wrong way of doing it i think we'll approach it in the we'll try and make coming into the office as great as possible so people will come in as often as they want to yeah that's interesting talking about this balance and holding that tension between it and 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 going with it so really important sharing about autonomy there and the importance of bringing in that adult culture there's another tension that we play with in regenerative leadership which is uh, the one of self and system and you've already been talking about how important it is to go on this sort of journey of the self. And we've been talking a lot about the system there of how Ellis shows up both as a culture and also helping change and transform the wider system. I'd like to now pivot a bit more to you as a self, as, as a human being and the journey you've been on. I mean, first off, we were talking um, about, you know, uh, patience, having the ability to work with people and give them time to go out. But a lot of this is also patience with ourselves. Now you've, gone through um, a, a period of time where you perhaps early on in life uh, it'd be nice for you to, to speak to your story um, perhaps you know had to close down and protect yourself and then as you've got older you've gone through a period of time where you've started to sort of emerge and yet there's different levels of that knowing thyself as it were um, could you speak a little to your own personal journey sure and I guess it has been a journey and, and we've all been on journeys and it's interesting when you were just talking about the system and the self for me in the past it's all been about the system and not been about the self and i have been on a a a period in my life i suppose when i've started to understand myself well just understand myself actually for the the first time and think about things um from my own perspective because I always, I don't want to sound like super worthy, but I always try and, especially in in a business, put other people before myself. And that's just been my leadership style. So I, when I was younger, I was sent away to boarding school when I was seven, eight years old. And I look at my two girls who were 12 and 10. And actually my 10 year old was in Somerset on a school trip last week for four days. And we really, really struggled with it. And we just really missed her and and then I just thought back to my child and thought well between the ages of eight and 18 I was away for 75 percent of my life was not at home and that had a huge impact on me as a person and I kind of uh, through reading lots of amazing books actually I'm reading when I've just finished this book called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer which is a brilliant book and he talks about how we protect ourselves in the, in these situations and we build walls around ourselves to protect ourselves and actually the opposite is true you think you're building these walls to protect yourself and you're actually harming yourself and i didn't really realize this until really, really a couple of years ago um and yeah so so the journey that that i've been on is is very very much from putting other people and the business at the center of my world to thinking actually I'll be a better leader if I think about myself a little bit more and you know I'll give you a a live example I don't really like talking about it because it still feels very raw but just before lockdown a couple of weeks before lockdown we lost our managing director Um, she went on holiday to America 
and she died very suddenly. She was she was my age, and it was just it was awful, absolutely awful. And we were in lockdown before we were able to get her body back. There was no funeral. There was no memorial. We were we were just locked down. And I approached that by throwing myself into work and looking after particularly my senior team because we knew her the best you know I'd worked with her for 10 years she wasn't just a she wasn't a work colleague she was a, a real real friend and I didn't think about myself enough I didn't think about my mental health enough because I just thought having those walls around me that I would just be really resilient and just plow on through and everything would be fine and I'd focus on other people. And it just, it had a terrific impact on me. You know, I've cracked two teeth, but to have crowns in, in both teeth through, you know, grinding my teeth at night. And I know what, I, I know what that's all about, you know, waking up in the, in the middle of the night, sort of having a dream and, and waking up crying and all these sorts of things. And I realized I needed to, to look after myself better and to be kinder to myself um but yes it's incredibly incredibly difficult but back to your question about focusing on, on the self it is something that i've only really in the last few years come to realize the importance of that hmm. we talk well, thank you for sharing all of that that's um it's really powerful and this pathway into ourselves and actually sort of letting go of the sort of this initial judgment that we have of ourselves in some way that's selfish rather than recognizing actually by attending to ourselves we can far better be in service and so we talk up as you know in in, in our journey together and and in my book leading by nature um, i talk about the shift from achiever to regenerative and you know at the moment we're talking about this sort of achiever stage in you and and how sort of starting to let go of that achiever this need to you know make things happen out there and how we go through this shift as a leader now it's interesting because you talk about the changing nature of success in business so i invite us to explore the changing nature of success in the leader from being that sort of outer driven achiever mindset into starting to become more regenerative inner outer attuning showing up can you give some examples recently of perhaps if you had approached them in the last couple of years with the achiever mindset it might have led to xyz decision but now as you're starting to tap into your untethered soul and starting to explore your own journey you're starting to make perhaps different decisions um, and and have a different level of discernment yes that's a that's a very good question Charles. i think i think being achiever is exhausting as well um no good can come from it and i've often made bad decisions you know i am a typical oh look at these the shiny new toys over here you know maybe i should go and do this and i've been asked in, in, in the past through my current job to take on another business and run that business at the same time as ella's kitchen and at the time i thought this is brilliant this is absolutely what i want to do i didn't really think a great deal about why i just constantly thought we just got to keep keep taking on more got to take on a bigger business, got to do more, more, more without doing what children are brilliant at. And I should really have, have thought about this more at the time because at Ella's Kitchen, we obsess about looking at the world through children's eyes and, and putting children at the center of our, 
our universe and everything that we do. And children are brilliant when they're sort of two, three, asking why. It can get, get a bit annoying, but they do ask why about everything. And I never really sat down and thought, why do I want, why do I want to take on more? And actually, in hindsight, if I had taken on this other company and tried to run it at the same time as Ella's Kitchen, it would have been an unmitigated disaster. I mean, absolute, it would have been catastrophic. There's no way I could have done it. It would have made me miserable. It would have had a huge impact on my family. And what for? Who, who am I trying, you know, and I've thought about this a lot recently. Who am I trying to please? Is it? Is it my mum's not alive anymore? She's been dead 15 years. Is it my dad? I don't think so. Like who, where is this? It's probably the ego, which is shocking. Now that I think about it, talking to you, because it just would have been the worst decision ever. And again, through, through my coaching with you, I've come to sort of realize the, where the priorities are in my life. And for me, it, it starts with the family. And that we were talking about the work-life balance and the autonomy. I just got an email five minutes before I came on the podcast with you to say that my 10-year-old's going to get a commendation at school tomorrow at 8.30 if um, me and my wife would like to go. And I'm, I can go. This is great because I'm working at home tomorrow. So I can go. I'd never have gone to something like that before because I wouldn't have prioritized it because I'd have thought, well, I've got to be, no, I've got to be working. I've got to be working on strategy or I've got to be doing X, Y, Z. Do I? I don't think I do, actually. And by going there and then coming back and probably being more mindful in, in, in the process, I will be a better leader. I will come up with other ideas that I wouldn't have come up with before. So I, I'm sure I could come up with a whole catalogue of errors that I've made, you know, monthly, probably, Giles, where i focused on the wrong things yeah this is amazing you see because it is it's in between it's, it's those in between times when we're actually not just resolutely focused on things that actually other other inspiration comes to us and and what's this all about if it's not about living the kind of life that we know in our hearts uh, we ought to be living uh, so thank you it's been a really rich conversation um, this morning so thank you for for this I'm just going to finish by asking you um, um, if you feel there's any you know just as, as a sharing to other potential leaders or leaders on this path making change happen any particular little tips or anything that you might offer I'm gonna go well I, I as you know Giles I feel a bit strange about giving people tips because it comes across as a little bit arrogant yeah so yeah, I, I naturally find that a little bit difficult. So I, I'm going to cheat slightly. Um, and I'm going to, and you know, I was also thinking, does anybody really listen to these things? You know, when you listen to podcasts and read books and it's we're inundated yeah. with tips and ideas yeah. Yeah. from people and thinking, do we really make that like long lasting change from somebody that some, said something on a podcast? Probably not. So I'm going to give one to myself. And it's typical therapy speak, I suppose. And that is to be kinder to oneself. The last five conversations I've had, been with walks of people at Ella's Kitchen, have revolved around me telling them, I don't think they've been very kind to themselves. And we all self-sabotage the whole time. We listen to this ridiculous voice 
in our head that we know isn't us, but is so critical the whole time and judging us. And I just feel we need to be kinder to ourselves in the first instance. And I'll give you one live example. When Paul Lindley asked me to be CEO of Ella's, I thought he was joking. And I remember calling my dad, I was so excited. And I said, well, he'll probably change his mind. But it's amazing that he's asked me because I didn't think I could do it. Not in a million years. I just didn't think I could do it. And here I am 11 years later, hopefully doing a good job. But I should have been kinder to myself and believe in myself a little bit more. But um, if there's one thing, so I'm cheating here. Josh. Yeah, because you're, you're doing two now. But that's yeah, good. Doing, that's good, Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing two. But one is from me, right? That was from me. Be kinder yeah. to yourself. And the other one isn't from me. The other one is is a book that I've become absolutely fascinated with. We've spoken about it, and I've spoken to everyone at Ella's Kitchen about it. So imagine, Giles, if I could tell you right now what your regrets are going to be. Where the end, when you're at the end of your days, hopefully you've lived a long life and you're in your 90s, you're in the care home. Let's call it a great care home, overlooking the beach. You've got, you got the waves lapping at your feet, Giles. If I could tell you now what the regrets are going to be when you're dying, you'd really, really want to know. You'd think that's amazing. Well, it turns out we can find out what the regrets are going to be because this amazing New Zealand nurse called Bronnie Ware, who's written a really short book, but she spent nearly 15 years looking after people in palliative care. So patients that were on the last days of their life. And she's written this book on the top five regrets of the dying, which I think is absolutely fascinating. But I'm only going to give you a couple. And the reason why I'm only going to give you a couple is I hope that the people listening will think, well, I want to know what the five are. You've only given me a couple. Um, so I'm only going to give you two. So the first one is, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Which when we think of the parental influence who we're trying to please, always looking at others, I think is really, really important. But it's also what we've been talking about. And the second one is, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Yeah. So I've been on that on that journey, definitely, in terms of myself and in terms of what the loves of my life are and what's important to me. And it's definitely changed in the last couple of years. And I, we said before, something positive has to come from COVID. And I'm more resolute than ever that when we look at this people, planet, profit of B Corp and, and the commitment to the triple bottom line, I am putting people and planet now way ahead of profit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for someone who has relatively low expectations around tips, I think you have possibly exceeded your expectations. On tips. You've been, <laughs> you're being kind to yourself by having low expectations on tips. It's been a real pleasure, Mark. Um, uh, I wish you well for the day ahead. Thank you so much for being here, having this conversation with me. I hope you've enjoyed it as, as much as I have, Mark. It's been amazing. Thank you for having me, Giles. For more on Leading by Nature, you can follow me, Giles Hutchins, on LinkedIn and visit gileshutchins.com for free downloads of tools and practices for regenerative leadership and future fit business. Also, watch out for my latest book, Leading by Nature, The Process of Becoming a Regenerative Leader.